we uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody. Welcome back to a very special milestone in terms of number, the 50th episode of the third sub podcast. And I mean, to be honest, maybe we, we kind of bundled the timing of all this because our, our very special episode was episode 49 with AFC Curtis. Go check that out if you haven't already. Like, pause this one and hop on that if you haven't. Great episode. Probably should have switched the, the numbers of these for pure presentation format. But if not, either way, if you've been here for all 50 episodes, we love that. We're back. It's your co-host, Alexander Gungiruzic. I'm here with Samuel Rowan and for episode 50, we're going, well, I wouldn't say old school because it's usually what we do when the, the White Caps play a game, but we're diving into a White Caps result. And this time it's a negative one, something maybe we've been a little too used to this year, but a, a, a hard to gauge lost against Portland. I think they showed good things. They showed bad things. They showed average things. And I mean, after an LFC loss where they they got pounded. I mean, it was progress, but that's also a very low bar to reach. But before we dive into all that, Sam, how's it going? This how was this weekend, and how was uh, how was talking into that game on a Sunday night, Sunday night snoozer, or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Um, welcome back, everyone. Uh, episode number fifty. I just kind of want to start off by saying, for those of you that have been with us since the beginning or joined early on. Thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. Uh, the numbers keep racking up, I think, quicker than we realize. I mean, last week we were very busy, had a bunch of content out, and it's been a really fun way to kind of express our thoughts in some format other than written, which Alex and I had done a lot of before, but to to share this podcast with Whitecaps fans, people that you know, are passionate about soccer in Vancouver. People are passionate about soccer in Canada. It's been a real pleasure so far, and uh, just looking forward to continue doing that. But uh, in terms of the match on the weekend, I mean, anything was going to be better than 6-0 at LAFC. So in that sense, the Whitecaps very much accomplished their goal. But, I mean, all you had to do was listen to Chris and Jack post-match to get a sense of you know, the house of negativity that certainly exists out there. And I think that while KJ is not representative of all Whitecaps fans, he certainly spoke for a certain section of the fan base in terms of, man, why are things just, you know, as much as things change, they stay the same. The Whitecaps lack creativity at times, lack the midfield, lack that cutting edge, you know, just overall roster depth and construction at times is a concern, but I'm so conflicted because I think when you look at all the individual pieces, you see a pathway towards success. But I was trying to, I was actually trying to explain this to my parents the other day. They were kind of interrogating me like, why won't this work for the white caps? What's going wrong? And, and, and it's a good question to try to answer. And I think my response was, there's just too many, every position, every 
group on the field has a question mark. Like it could go right, but it has to go according to plan in order for things to work out. And, you know, other teams in the league, they have the luxury of, they can still, they can have transfer signings not work out. They can have players not perform up to potential and still be a good competitive team. The Whitecaps need everything at this moment, at least to go right in order to be that competitive team. And so in that sense, they're just still, uh, they have good pieces, they have good players, but they're still a step away of, from being where they want to be. And the, the big question is, how do you get there? And uh, I, I don't necessarily have the answer. I think Alex and I, we, we certainly have some thoughts as, we as, to how, as to how you might try to get there. But that's kind of, that was my resounding feeling after the 1-0 at Portland was just, you know, man, yes, there's progress that's been made. And some nights it's some nights it sucks, some nights it hurts, but yeah, it's such a mixed bag. And I think Portland was the perfect example where you you ship a goal on a cheap free kick, you do a terrible job marking. The goalkeeper probably could have done a little bit better as well. Like the team was just completely switched off. And then for the rest of the match, you're actually probably the better team, or at very least on level pegging. And that looks good, but at the end of the day you you either, I mean, you maybe created, you created a couple scoring chances, but you didn't finish on them and you walk away without any points, which, you know, feels like standard procedure at the moment. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of words to, I'm not sure say a, a hell of a lot, but, uh, <laughs> those are kind of my opening thoughts. And we're going to dive into some of the individuals, the way the match was set up, just our, our overall thoughts and kind of moving forward into the Seattle and the rest of this, uh, MLS season what we're thinking about the Whitecaps. I think uh, if we're going to talk KJ, I think he was two years too late with his assessment because if we're going to be honest, from what he talked about, I think he, he was pretty pretty bang on, if not pretty close to being bang on. But the things he was bang on about, those things started when uh, Carl Robinson at the end of his era, and a lot of them haven't changed as as much, at least the things he talked about, like, recruitment has especially of big time players i mean if you think about it like who are the three dps in the carl robinson's last year like kai kamar who is a, a good a good signing but obviously not a long-term dp breck shea and then kendall waston or or kendall yeah was it kendall waston or he was like bored kendall waston was like borderline dp i don't think he actually was but he was like a tam player like that's been a problem since since you know that last year, and you look at last year, the in 2019, the three DPs are Freddie Montero, Joaquin Ardais, and Huang Inbaum. Oof. And there's just been this struggle at the top of the Whitecaps roster food chain, and then they're supplemented by a decent crop of homegrowns recently, and then the mid-tiered roster has just been all over the place, and pieces, whenever one area of the squad looks good, another one looks looks bad it always it's always feels like it's a one hole being plugged and okay you finally got a striker but you have no midfield or you finally got a midfield and you got no back line and I think if anything KJ should have just saved his assessment and written it into a longer 10 15 20 minute post game show and just use it as the post-mortem for the Vancouver Whitecaps 2020 season because it just feels like the timing I mean it's the 29th of September. There's still nine games left in the season. And not saying that at this point you'd expect the Vancouver Whitecaps to go win MLS Cup, but sports is the kind of thing where they would make make it into the playoffs as an eighth seed 
win three rounds or something and all of a sudden the season changes narratives change so fast in sports so he's he certainly maybe his timing was right just because the narrative changed so fast and maybe in three weeks it'll be sunshine and roses again but i guess yeah timing wise two years too late two two months too early one of the two but bang on in the assessment well, something that I was thinking about when, when KJ really launched into that tirade was, and, and maybe this isn't identifiable for all of our listeners, but certainly those that you know are, are familiar with the rest of what goes on in Vancouver sporting culture. I think the last time that a, a media you know, rights holder for a team in Vancouver was that strongly outspoken against things that were going on in the organization. An entire radio station was created just to change the narrative. So I don't know if the Whitecaps are, you know, are, are reaching that level of uh, of discomfort with the coverage they're receiving, but it's, you know, KJ's in this unique perspective where he can kind of swan in from Toronto and, and yeah, he's with the rights holder, but he can also kind of say what he likes. And I think that, you know, as much as we bone that at times, because I think Alex, you've, you've posted this a couple times on Twitter where it's like, hooray, we have... Instead of curling, we finally have a Whitecaps pregame show, but then all they do is talk oh, about TFC. TFC post. <laughs> or, or I love that whenever there's a Whitecaps, like, you know, again, in air quotes, pregame show, and they do a feature on a Whitecaps player, it's not about his performance with the Whitecaps. It's all national team related, and they basically don't touch on the fact that he, that player plays for the Whitecaps at all. So or it's like, hey, it's Lucas Cavallini, but hey, he's best friends with the TFC player. <laughs> it's Yeah, the lead is always somehow related to Team Canada or TFC, but I also, there's times where I kind of relish that in terms of a coverage perspective, because in this example, KJ can say exactly what he thinks about the Whitecaps and not worry about the repercussions. I mean, I'll just, you know, full full disclosure to the listener, if someone in Vancouver were to go off like that about the Whitecaps, we'd, we'd certainly be hearing about it. And I'm interested to, I don't know if I'll ever find out, but I'd be interested to know whether or not KJ heard anything from, uh, from the Whitecaps organization about what he had to say. Yeah, boy, it, it's, it's tough because obviously the Whitecaps, you'd like them to get more positive coverage and it's great that all the like, coverage Alfonso Davies has got. Sign me up for that if it's merited. Absolutely. And, and Alfonso Davies, what he did for the Whitecaps is great, but if you're not good on the field especially, you're not going to get any coverage. I mean, you combine that with all sorts of troubles that they faced off the field. It's it's just not a, a good concussion of positivity. And it's, it, you know, I think people out there want to be positive. And if if they win games like they did, for example, a week or two ago, People are willing to be positive about the team on the turf, but until they sort out some of their sort out things on and off the field, I feel it's going to be an up and down wave of of positivity. And I mean, on the field, it's it's interesting. It's it's tough for someone like Axel Schuster because obviously people are fed up with eight years of just you know what they've gone through in MLS and the varying levels of success and the jealous, the jealous, whatever we want to call it syndrome, the little brother syndrome of watching Toronto FC win MLS cup and Canadian championships, watching Montreal impact go to CONCACAF finals and win Canadian championships, watching Seattle and Portland win MLS cups. Like there's obviously that, that sort of jealous little brother syndrome plays a role, but 
at the same time, you you just boy, I just completely my train just left the station. I don't even know what I was gonna say there, but <laughs> well, that, save me. Yeah, that's okay. No worries. I I was gonna say anyways. I mean, we could we could and hey, you know, hit us up if 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 you want to hear more of this. But we could just wax poetically all day about the conundrum the Whitecaps face as an organization and, you know, how do you fix the, the unsolvable problem of becoming competitive and relevant. But ultimately what we're here to do as well is dive into the match that was a 1-0 loss at home, in air quotes, to Portland. So let's do that. And, and the place I want to start is we're going to transition to a positive. We're going to start with one of the better stories of the evening, which was Eric Godoy finally back at the center back position. And at least in my estimation, finally looking like the player that the Whitecaps knew they had to sign last season because of the performances he was putting in. It really looked like the Eric Godoy we've come to expect. And something that kind of snuck up on me is Godoy at 27 is very much like the veteran and the the elder statesman of that defensive core. I mean, Jake Nerwinski's up there too, I guess, in terms of years. Although I'm sure he wouldn't he wouldn't like me saying that. But I, I think that that veteran leadership and actually Jake spoke to it after the match that he feels a lot more confident and comfortable in his right back position when Eric Godoy is back there. So Alex, thoughts on Godoy and uh, and yeah, just just thoughts on how he kind of changed the complexion of the match in terms of what you saw at least well first of all i don't want my train left the station i think it came back temporarily so i don't want to leave that train apologies that that rarely happens but my mind just blanked but basically what i was saying about schuster's you almost feel bad for the guy because he's parachuted in and you may have he's paying for past mistakes during his own tenure which is which is tough you may have beliefs on for example his tenure at shock and all that and fair enough but shout out to manuel beth and they're very, very, like, very, very applied. What's the word? You know, they're very justified. Like, Schalke is a tire fire. Schuster played a, a role in that. And you do worry. But obviously, this is a fresh start. He's like, what, six months? Well, six months. Boy, he's nine, ten months into a job. Talk about how time flies. He's obviously has way too much on his plate. And yes, sometimes he may seem like a yes man for the organization and whatnot. Obviously, it's just so early to judge someone like him per se when he's, at least for me, I see some guys like people might not believe, like people might not have the same opinion, but I see guys that seem to be Schuster guys like Milinkovic and Dahomey and Owusu and Bikel, and these guys seem to be good pieces. So obviously there's something going on. I kind of want to see the full picture. Obviously the full picture, you go back to 2011. It isn't pretty, but sometimes... Right now, you, you throw that old, terrible, rusty, whatever picture you want to call it, dusty, throw it in the attic, and then Schuster's building his picture. I want to see it first. Obviously, it's tough for him to build on the fly in a market that's kind of frustrated. And I, I, I think of the Canucks when they were rebuilding like mere years ago, two, three years ago, and the amount of slinging that would go on. It's just it, – it's a Vancouver sports thing. It's it's tough for people to rebuild in this this market, just especially if you're the Whitecaps and you've never even had anything remotely close to the success that the Canucks have had. And that's saying something because the Canucks have just been 50 years of heartbreak, essentially, and just 
getting to the end and not 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 putting it together that's a whole other story but yeah that, that was just my little thing on Schuster I, did, I just wanted to make sure I didn't forget it obviously you can have your opinions on him and they're I could see why you'd be frustrated it's just for him to get a lot of the brunt of this frustration I feel like it's maybe not fair yet and maybe we have to start to see if things really start to fall apart before we start blaming him but if we're going to talk about a Mark DeSantos guy we talk about Mark DeSantos signings being all over the place. Well, the one home run, I guess we could say, I mean, if we're looking at all the signings, Eric Godoy, boy, he, he's a player. I think you forget how much, like you feel frustrated about how things have been this season, inconsistency, especially defensively for game in, game out. And then you realize, boy, would someone like Eric Godoy, you forget that he exists almost. And that's scary because Yes, the Whitecaps have been a tire fire at times defensively through, I guess, what it's, not, it's been now, what, 14 games? But at the same time, when you're missing your best center back, okay, that actually kind of – that adds up. There's most teams in MLS you take away their best center back. Like, boy, just to use an example, look at Toronto FC. Like, first of all, defensively, they're less than – they're less than a gold standard. And you take away, like, an Omar Gonzalez right now, I feel like it would be, like, Boy, I wouldn't even want to imagine what that would look like. I think Toronto FC fans know what that would look like, having seen their favorite player, Eric Zavaleta, pair, pair up with Laurent Sima for a few games this year. But Godoy, I just feel if he can get a run of games here, and preferably with someone like Derek Cornelius, like he brings the leadership Andy Rose brings. And I think Sam and I agree, like Andy Rose is a great leader and he's definitely going to be a great coach. But He's he's a he's a learning center back, and at thirty, it's not easy to learn a new position. And he he doesn't bring the all of the things that Godoy brings. And you realize, first of all, the Whitecaps are missing a leader when Godoy's out, but they just miss his talent, his tenacity, his mentality. He just yeah, his overall package was great, and I'm just excited to see more of him at center back. Well, yeah, the other the other team I think of, and you brought it up. Uh, a couple podcasts ago, it's kind of like the Walker Zimmerman effect, right? I mean, not that LAFC was ever a terrific defensive team, but you see. I mean, they conceded the least amount of goals in MLS last year. Obviously, they had the ball yeah. the most, but that's worth. But noting. you see, you see the change between last year and this year, and you see how, at least relative to expectations, how well Nashville is doing, and it it goes to show the change that one you know, stalwart defender can make back there. And yeah, I think just because the Whitecaps had some depth or at least perceived depth at the center back position, you kind of went, oh, well, they can survive without Eric Godoy. But I think it's it's fair to stay still at this point that as much as, I mean, we love Derek Cornelius, that's well advertised. I think we're optimistic about Ranko Vasilinovich long-term. He's certainly shown signs. Then I mean Yasser Kamiri, the upside. He's a wild card. The upside is there. It's just you know, does it come together? Ultimately, that injury that he came into the squad with, it's it's still kind, still kind of a problem. But you know, I, those three guys, they're they're promising prospects. They're good defenders. But Eric Godoy, when on he's his game, he's at a like, different level. He he has MLS star caliber potential. Like, would, and would I think it be we, that hot to say? Would that would that be that hot to say that if he plays up to his potential when he's at his best, he's a top ten center back and almost maybe even top five? Ab- absolutely. I mean, I'd give you top ten right now without even thinking about it. Then I think that goes to show that you know he's a he's a shout for top five when when he's playing at his as top level. It's just hard right now because he's 
he's been out for so long. And injuries are a concern because this is a guy that's consistently had niggling and muscle issues too, not like bones or breaks. No, it's a, it's a consistent problem. So, you know, you can't as, as much as you can't blame injuries or, you know, discount performance based on injuries at the same time, durability is a, is a quality to a certain extent. And so you, you hope that that's something good I can kind of overcome, but uh, transitioning from a positive to a little bit of a negative uh, Thomas Assault, with i mean i think we all knew that there were there were potential concussion issues but to to also announce that he's got his leg yeah like essentially a fractured tibia a pretty serious leg issue as well and that he's i I know mark DeSantos, axel schuster we're all kind of saying hey we're gonna take this really seriously we're not you know we're not putting the cart before the horse but i don't think anyone was expecting that serious of a diagnosis and so obviously we're going to dive into here in a little bit or, you know, right after the this, new goalkeeping situation, you know, the arrival of Evan Bush. But first of all, I just want to say Thomas Assault, despite the tough end to his 2020 season, what a great coming out party in MLS is back. Just how admirably he performed even afterwards in the Canadian matchups and, you know, what a what a great prospect for the Whitecaps to have in the one area of the park where they've really hit home runs in terms of, of development, which is at goalkeeper. So, you know, wishing, I already said this on Twitter, but wishing Thomas all the best. Absolutely cannot wait to see him back on the pitch. Sure that with his mentality, his work ethic, he's going to come back even stronger. So just looking forward to that, obviously tough for the club, tough for the player, but, uh, Ultimately, hopefully, it'll be a positive in the long run. Yeah, just get get better, Thomas. I think it's worth noting that I do feel like there is some frustration. Oh, how could Thomas stay in the game after getting a head injury? First of all, we have we don't know the full story there. For all we know, he could have felt something and played on because ultimately, that's a tough thing with concussions. It comes down to self-reporting and, and players and want to stay and, on the pitch. And you're, when your adrenaline's going, sometimes the, the, the little headache that kind of gives you an idea that you're on, you have a concussion, that doesn't come till later. Obviously, it was just bad luck. And then obviously the fracture, like I want to know how that happened. And for all we know, like, for example, Thomas gets a head knock and then he's in the dressing room and he hits his head on, a, on the side of a door and all of a sudden it gets worse. We don't know any of that. You don't want to speculate. So head injuries, they're voodoo. Hopefully he can find a way to recover to get back to his best and get back into to game shape, especially with his leg. Like that injury is just mind boggling to me. So get, get, get better. Thomas, our thoughts are with you. And uh, hopefully you, you, you keep that, that kaboot, you, the, Oh boy, I can think of a right word for it. That coconut, take care of your coconut. It's a, uh, it's important. And I guess that for, for anyone out there who plays soccer, you got any, as soon as your head feels wrong, take yourself out of the game monitor, do, do a quiet room, take your 10, 15 minutes, Make sure all your symptoms uh, dissipate because you don't want to mess with concussions. Because even if the first hit's fine, if you're playing, and then if you it's the second hit, you go up for the second header or that 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 other incident, and then just boom, you're out for a year, you're out for two years, your quality of life is ruined. So, you know what? Maybe Thomas got a mild concussion now, but he's avoiding a, a big thing in the future, and we we're all we're all here for that. But yeah, it's it's tough for the Whitecaps. I mean, 
we talk about losing Eric Godoy. How tough is losing Maxime Crapo and then your your all star goalkeeper, and then you replace him with a goalkeeper ends up being pretty a lot a lot at his young age a lot better than anyone would have expected. I'm not going to say he's all star quite yet. He doesn't no, have the same at the very least MLS average quality, if not more more than. Yeah, considering what he played behind in the Whitecaps defense at times, like. He put up one heck of a fight. So that's another tough loss for the Whitecaps because as much, again, as we like Brian Meredith, we'll say it time and time again, great, you know, great in scrums, great in interviews, great guy in the locker room. In terms of quality, he just he doesn't bring the same thing. And that's not to say he's a bad goalkeeper, but he's, you, there's definitely a step down. That's a fair statement to, take, to, to make. And, I mean, we'll go on Evan Bush. We, won't, we'll, we still have some stuff to talk about the game. And, boy, I, I mean, I have my thoughts about Evan Bush – the player, same like Meredith, Bush sounds like a great guy. He he talked to us, the media today, and he was a great interview. But obviously there, he has some questions to prove in these next few games on the field because last year he didn't show much. But that's the whole other story. But if we're going to round out the defensive line, do we want to talk about Christian Coutieres quickly? Maybe a quick minute for him? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a guy that if we go back, say, 10 episodes, we were – we were saying we want to see more. We want to see more. We're he's showing signs, you know. Just give us some more Gooty. And then had that. I guess you could call it a coming out party against Montreal, and was starting to stack up some good performances. And now, after LAFC, and now this Portland match, kind of a couple in a row where it feels like a little bit of a step back has been taken. I mean, certainly, if not entirely at fault certainly takes a, a decent share of the blame for that opening goal. But then, as much as that's tough, he responded really well the rest of the match up until he was was substituted off with injury. So, it, like, I did the report card for 86 Forever, and it was such a... I didn't know how to grade him because how much do you take off for the, the defensive error that versus, was versus how he played the rest of the match? Because if you look at how he played the rest of the match, I think you'd go, good. well done, a solid shift. But then at the same time when you're a defender, you know those singular moments do end up defining your performance. And so it's, I think, and this is the way I worded it in my report card, he's a young guy who's learning about MLS and he had that kind of honeymoon period and now there's a little bit of a step back here it's a bit of a learning curve but I think it's better for him in the long run and I'm sure you know after making a few glaring errors on set pieces he's going to it's going to be something he's looking at at video working on with the coaching staff and 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 trying to improve on so my overall outlook on Gutierrez has not changed at all if anything I think he's actually a step closer to improving because he's kind of having these little setbacks and he's going to get back in the lab, you know, get back on the training pitch and, and try to round out his game. Well, hopefully his leg's fine just because those injuries were showing steps on your leg. Could For sure. Either be something like a, what happened to Hassal or it could just be a bruise for all we know. We have no idea. It's obviously in COVID times, injury updates, you joke about the lower body injuries and all that, those jokes from – three years ago but boy it's even worse now you don't even know what's going on obviously you see something like with Hassal you you think it's his head and then all of a sudden you find out it's let his leg and they're only releasing that because he's they're pretty much saying he's done for the season so that that's a whole other story but yeah hopefully get better Gutierrez as well uh the Whitecaps could use 
there's a biz- looking at that fixture list. That fixture list after this Seattle game, it starts to get mean. I think it's like Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, like for for eight or nine games. It's not pretty. So, and yeah, he, the mistake's tough because as a defender, it's especially one that you can't make. Like losing, and it, it's it's one that if it goes wrong, it it, it doesn't get noticed. Like if if uh, boy Felipe Mora gets to the ball first and flicks it wide, you don't think too much. Okay, a let off, but. First of all, it was just such a low percentage goal from such a low percentage area. It's the one where you just can't switch off. You at least have to disrupt them. And I feel like it's not going it if you disrupt him. If he scores from there and you're draped all over him, like fair play. Maybe three guys in the world who can do that. And Zlatan Ibrahimovic is the only guy off the top of my head I could think of pulling off something like that. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's not a mistake you can make. It's some mistakes as a defender you'll, you'll accept because it's tough. Like a one-on-one where the guy's running at you full speed and you get thrown on the ground or a spin cycle okay. Or you close down, you're stuck in, in, in no man's land. You forget to close down. That one hurts. But it, it's just one where it's, you can't let off in a set-piece situation. And it's a lesson you'll learn. And I think he bounced back very well. And it's unfortunate because theoretically, I mean, him and his defense did his job. They only held one goal. It's just the one goal they gave up is at a really bad time. But theoretically, you'd think your offense, if you only allow one goal, could get you at least a point or even three. So obviously there is there is some concern there. But I think defensively, it's good to see him bounce bounce back from his mistake. And uh, it's good to hopefully we see more of him. But again, I think Ali Adnan, if we want to quickly touch on him, he was, I mean, not not excellent as a whole on the wing. But defensively, I thought especially because Gutierrez picked up a yellow, early yellow card. So Adnan started to drop and play more left back. He was really good defensively, like unusually good. At least we say that, like we know he can be good, but his motivation levels were there on Sunday. Let's just say that. And he had seven tackles, three interceptions. He was getting stuck in. He didn't get a yellow card. He rarely made a mistake. Like if you're going to get that from Ali Adnan going forward, that's exactly what you want from left back. And maybe it's show it's, showing us that Christian Gutierrez is giving Ali Adnan the competition and the, the push that he needs to be at his best. Yeah, Ali was certainly a, a stat sheet stuffer in that match against Portland. I don't know if the the overall kind of, you know, game-breaking product was there that you, you'd hope for, but certainly just in terms of keeping things tidy and, and not making, you know, too many mistakes and being responsible defensively, he, you know, provided as much as you could expect. And I think that, you know, Ali's such a curious case because he's, I think we all know that when Ali steps on the pitch in MLS and he's engaged and he's ready to play and committed, he's one of the best players on the pitch. Like that is, he has that quality where he's one of the better players in MLS when he's switched on. But there's just the, you know, first of all, there's the big question of is he going to be switched on on a nightly basis, and then there's the secondary question of you know, do you need a a designated player at left back, or do you need a designated player playing out of position at left wing, a position you already have a decent amount of depth in, you know, taking away minutes from a guy like Ryan Raposo or Theo Bear. So I think that Ali, you know, yes, he he possesses the quality. It was a good performance and. And, and you like that out of your team, but it's just it, more and more and more it feels like the fact that those 
resources are a bit misallocated is just being driven home further and further, especially when he's ultimately comes down to, you know, if he's not scoring goals, you have to kind of go, okay, well, maybe we could be getting more out of this despite, despite the quality he does bring. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's a, that's the thing with the salary league. I feel like, I mean, Adnan on the team, obviously is an entertaining player sometimes for the wrong reasons. And he's fun to have from a, on a team where, where there's maybe not, he, he just has this personality that you, you definitely, it, it's, it's entertaining, it, it makes but it obviously again, resources, it, he never, he makes things interesting. He's, He's he's got this panache at left back that's fun, but again, it's it's all about the money with him, unfortunately. Which that's the reality of an MLS world. I mean, honestly, at his wages, which are a bit hefty at one plus million, it's just that that darn rule that 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 bothers me, and that's a whole other story. But the darn rule, your transfer fee counts as your salary. Salary, like if first of all, if you're MLS and you want to encourage your teams to go get better players removing that rule would go a long way towards doing that. So they could actually invest in players for over 5 million and know that they won't count as DPs, but that's a whole other story and a whole other rant for a whole other day. But yeah, it, I had his salary. I think he, he does, maybe he's a little, his salary is a bit much, but I think he, for the most part, he lives up to it. It's just the fact that he's a DP tag and that, that yeah. it's just the overall roster composition is too flawed to make it work for the white caps. But I mean, if he's motivated like that and he's here for now and they have him, they should massage the most that they can get out of him because he can help the team win games. It's just figuring out based on the opponent, based on the game, is that at left mid, is that at left back, is that off the bench and managing that whole equation. Well, yes, just something I wanted to add in here now that I'm thinking about it is even if it it might even make more sense if you don't move on from Aliad next year and you still have him on the roster, it sounds like with the way roster construction's trending for MLS, there's going to be two to three young designated player spots available. And so you could get more creative and maybe you make more of those young designated player spots and then you can have a luxury DP left back like Ali Adnan. But it's just in the current setup, it's it feels like a, a misuse of resources, especially when you're now you're a designated player short of your normal allotment. So now you've really only got one position where you're, I guess, you know, in air quotes, getting full value for, because I think that the white Cavs maybe don't feel like they're getting full value out of Lucas Cavallini either right now, but, uh, but that's yeah, I a think, story for in a few minutes, but, but, so, I guess. but so as much as, as much as I've kind of ragged on, okay, it's a misallocation of resources with Adnan. There are things coming into the league next year that maybe give the white caps and Axel Schuster a little bit more flexibility. That doesn't mean that I think they should keep no. Adnan in the long term, but it's just, it's a point worth making. It's, Here's my last point on that, and I think for for today, and I I do think when we do a post mortem, and it's going to be a long off season, we'll have so many episodes where we just go into complete hypothetical rants and yeah. rambles. But for example, with Ali Adnan, obviously you talk about the three five two, maybe for the Whitecaps, how much they struggle to generate offense. A three at the back just isn't something you look at long term and you're excited about because teams can pull it off. But obviously, if if the Whitecaps a four at the back, you can have aggressive fullbacks in the, uh, and a four at the back if, a, a, you have a really competent defensive midfielder. And who knows if Janio Bikel, obviously uh, he didn't have a greatest game today or today, boy. I don't know why I'm saying today on Sunday. 
but he can, he's shown glimpses of being that piece. Heck, maybe with these new DP rules, you bring in a new DP. But for me, if you bring in a right back with similar attacking qualities to Adnan, and that's not a slight on Jake Nowitzki. Jake Nowitzki, for my money, we've said this, he's been one of the best players this year in an MVP race. He's probably on the ballot for us if, if the ballot's three or four players, but he's just, his, his strength this year has been defensively, whereas offensively, he's just, he doesn't have enough. And that's not, it just staggers the field where you know that attacks are going to start at the left side. You know that it's balanced. If they could get a really good attacking right back and kind of make the field less staggered, all of a sudden, again, with these new young DPs, we don't know how it's going to go. It makes more sense. But obviously I could see that there's arguments for and against Adnan. And I, I could be swayed either way because personally, again, I've said it's a misallocation of resources in MLS today. But you make a good point about 2021. It maybe it won't be a mis, miscast of evaluation money next year. That's very much on the cards. But they obviously need to find a way to better net, feather things around him, find a nest for him to to operate. That's a whole other story. But speaking of DPs, at least I think one that I don't think we're gonna actually. Oh no, I. I order wrong we'll talk about a, a former dp first before we go into the big dp i think you guys can uh you, you know who we're talking about but freddie montero i thought he he was lively on sunday after not really he looked lively against lafc off the bench he gets a starting role as a result no 4-4-2 i wag my fingers here's a 4-2-3 one let's not kid ourselves i mean pressing was a 4-4-2 but i'll explain it again and again a four well i'll say it again and again a 4-4-2 tends to be what most teams press in if they're playing a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. So that doesn't bother bother me or concern me. But Montero looked good in that hole. He, he found pockets of space. He generated some good chances. And the one thing you don't expect Freddie Montero to struggle at is finishing. And to give credit, Clark makes a great save on the header in the box. And he makes – there's a ridiculous block on Montero, like a really good shot in the box. He could have had a goal or two. That's what you want from him. You want him to get into quality spots and make good chances. And I think uh, Montero, if he's going to keep doing that, he makes an interesting argument. What do you do with Lucas Cavallini if he continues to struggle? Like, do you bench him again to kind of light that fire under him? Because if Montero is just outplaying him, obviously you can play him at a number 10, but he just he, he's making lineup questions, which I guess is what you want from him. Yeah, so my my thoughts on Montero in terms of at least his individual performance at Portland was that I think he provided a lot of the same qualities we saw in his last couple of starts. The only difference is that in those, he seemed to have the golden touch, and every time he played a pass or every time he took a shot, it, it led to a goal. And in this one, he, as you, you know, we had a shot stopped, he had a shot blocked, you know, the passes just maybe didn't quite link up. I didn't think Christian Dahomey was as, as good as he'd been in the last couple matches. And and I think you bring up an interesting point about Cavo where I get the sense that that, for whatever reason, I think it's partially down to Mark's preferences and tendencies tactically. But Freddie Montero yeah. as that striker with with wingers being really flexible and Milinkovic and Dahomey around him, that seems to work a little bit better. And so I think there's real, you know, there's a real good case behind bringing Kava off the bench, even at halftime or in like the 55th minute, and just have him run around like a bull in a china shop for that last, 
40, 45 minutes of the match. I mean, I know that he's probably not going to like that. I don't know if Mark DeSantos is going to do it, but I think there's there's merit to that idea, especially if Milinkovic is healthy because then it kind of changes the way you can play with that front four. So I think that's something worth considering. But yeah, in terms of Montero, I think it was... His his level was very much the same as it's been over the last couple of matches. He maybe was just a little more unlucky than anything else. Well, I think to transition to Cavallini with him, I I I've seen it. I've seen him when he's played for Puebla. I've seen it when he's played for Canada. I've seen it in preseason. I do think this is a, a form issue. We do say at what point is it more than form? But I mean, his it's form, a question that has to be asked. But but I, his, I, I, I certainly think he's got it in him. Yeah, his form is certainly affecting other parts of his game right now, and that's your worry. I think effort-wise, he's he's obviously working hard, but you can tell sometimes he's seen red and he gets unnecessary yellows. For example, like that that for me screams frustration. It Usually, feels, he's a good. Tackler. It feels like he's forcing it both offensively and when he's pressing. Like everything's very deliberate, and that's just kind of the you know if you if you're in hockey, it's the holding the stick too tight. Kind yeah, metaphor. metaphor. Like his build-up play, he, he's there was a moment where he got ball in a great space, and he just got stuck on it, and he made a you know a very unadventurous pass. His his finishing, he'll take an extra touch, or his heading isn't pinpoint, and it's it's those little details as a striker that that really hurt you. And it's a difference between Montero and Cavallini. Is Montero took his chances really well, he just didn't finish them. Whereas Cavallini, you just see it, and you don't feel good about him taking his chances. It's it's He's really suffering a case of the heebie-jeebies, and it's tough to break something like that. It takes something special. It takes like a two-goal game. It doesn't just take a goal. It takes like a two-goal game, or it takes a game where you just start doing the little things right again. It show, you, you, it's almost like you forget that you're a good player. You, you, you're not making routine passes. You're not you know, making key passes. You're not blasting shots in the top corner. He needs something like that. I don't know. Maybe the Earthquakes next, next Wednesday is the game for him for there because he, t- he hasn't played against the Earthquakes yet. And I think if there's one player the Whitecaps could have used on the last few times they've been obliterated by the Earthquakes, it's a striker like Cavallini because the way the Earthquakes play, it benefits Cavallini a lot more than someone like Montero just because the Earthquakes run their absolute butts off. Whereas, you know, Cavallini, that's his kind of game. But, yeah, he just needs something. He needs a game. Like, he needs that game right now. He's waiting for his marquee moment. And his goals, to be honest, don't really count because they were great, well-taken goals. It's just there were flashes within the game. It was his Toronto FC goal was early in the game, and then he didn't really generate much after that. And his RSL goal was great at the late end of the game, but he didn't have much time to build off of it. So he just needs that game, I think, because I don't want to give up on Cavallini quite yet i feel like it's way too early and it's been a wild year for him for multitude of reasons we forget that you know he's had family members die because of the virus that's going on like for a striker that can't be easy to think that right now he's away from his his young family but i think he just needs that because of all that he needs that game and i think i don't know what it is for him maybe this is a moment where you'd want him to go play for canada for example start and go score a bunch of goals against like you know because theoretically, in a, in a week or two, it was supposed to be the start of World Cup qualifiers, and they were supposed to play one of Suriname or Bermuda and what that. Hey, maybe going and scoring a hat trick against Suriname was the the way to get his confidence back. But he just needs 
some sort of thing. And maybe if you're Mark DeSantos, you find a way in training to get his confidence back. But I just want to see a confident Cavallini because we just haven't seen it this year. And it's, it's been painful, painful to watch at times. Well, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this, this one specific instance. I think it was the, really his best chance of the match in Portland was, I think it was a ball played in from Jake Nerwinski across the face of the goal. It was Christian Dahomey. Oh, it was Dahomey. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that really, that really, I mean, it was a pretty much a perfect ball and it, and it takes the hop and it's coming in like relatively low. And there's a couple times recently where I've seen, uh, seen Cava go to take that with his head when it's like at hip height or below. And you just wonder, it's like, man, is this a guy who's, I mean, I, I guess he's relatively confident with his head, but it's like, is this a guy that's overthinking it? Why don't you just, you know, take it on the volley, cushion it with the inside or, of your or foot. Maybe it was the wrong cross. And put it on the one, The one from the home, he, he headed it wide. I, so I might be mixing it up. Well, so I'm talking oh, about think... the one where it was, he tried to, he it came across the face of goal and he tried to put it in like straight on at the far post. Oh, that was in the first half. That was, boy, that I don't think that was Norwinsky because it was off a set piece. That one was, no? I don't I mean, know if we're I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, but anyways, if the, if the listener out there knows the one I'm talking about, where he kind of <laughs> went down to hip height to get it with the head and just missed it the far, just kind of it was a dead to rights opportunity and he couldn't get it on target. I just I had to wonder whether or not that's just a a classic example of a guy that you know would maybe normally take that with his foot, but now because he's overthinking it, decides he's going to go down and head it and just looked. Looks a little caught between uh, release patterns, so to speak. There, so uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think that Cavallini will find his form eventually, and and hopefully the team improving around him will will help him do that. But it's a yeah, it's a it's a frustrating case currently because one of the things that can bail you out of poor form is a is a striker in form because if you can play terrible football, but if you hoof it forward he takes it down with his chest and volleys it into the goal like it can it can solve a lot of problems very quickly so the Whitecaps could could certainly use that at the moment and so it's a it's a bit challenging in that respect yeah I just I think he can contribute a lot more and I think he knows that and in it I don't think yeah it's too early to to, to give up on him obviously as I said and there's a lot more to come. Well, the, but the Whitecaps don't have a choice. Like they can't, they, they, they yeah. can't give up on him, and they won't, and, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. He's, he, I, I think he's still a good player. But I guess moving on, the last two players we have written down here: Leonard Owusu and Daniel Bakel. We won't spend too much time because we ended up going a lot more into this as we tend to do. But I think Leonard Owusu, he's bounced back a lot as of late. He was really lively, and I don't think the double pivot works for him, unfortunately. I think it's just too much running for him. I think Daniel Bakel can handle it when he's at his best, but Awusu just too much running for him. He was really, he's showing some flair, some flicks, some tricks, some good passes. For me, he's someone I, I see in a three-man midfield, and I can see, I think, okay, I could see the value in what he brings. And you do wonder, okay, if the Whitecaps were to, play a 4-3-3 with Milinkovic, Dahomey, and Cavallini up top, just as, as an example, we, we say that. And then with, you know, a Wusu, Bakel, and a third partner freed up, I do wonder what you could bring. I mean, I'm trying to think who the perfect number eight would be because Baldissimo is more of a six. So would you free up Bakel more? He seems like more of a six. 
you could play Bikel and Baldissimo as like a pivot at a Wusu in front of them, but I do think one of Bikel or Baldissimo is a in this theoretical four three three. Like you have, you'd have to basically you'd have to find the perfect number eight to to complement them. But I just Wusu screams like a really good number eight in a box to box, and he's good as a ten. He's good as a number six. But I think if we're gonna see his best role, it's it's, it's a number eight. I think we've been told that we were told that before the season started and. Again, like I said, I think he could be used in a diff- in different ways. I think you could explore trying him on the left mid, for example, and using him as an extra body. You could try him as a number ten. I think he would be good. I'm just saying, best position if you want to if you want to get the most out of him, number eight. Do the Whitecaps have the luxury to do that right now? Maybe not, but definitely something to look for until in in terms of next year. But I think he showed why he can be effective in that role on on Sunday and for Daniel Bacal rough game, but he struggled with injury. It, he's working his way back to form. That drop was going to happen. You hit that wall. I think he's going to, he's got a week off. If, if you, if he drops again against Seattle, you do worry a bit, but I, I do feel like he's one guy who, who will bounce back and relish playing against the likes of, you know, Ladero and, and, and Joe Paolo and, and Alex Roldan. Yeah, I mean, short form for me, Owusu, good, Bikel, bad. But obviously that's that's wow. not, not very nuanced, and, and that's not how I feel about the players overall. But uh, I guess to just add a little bit to the things you said, because I, I agree with most of it, I, you know, in this in this new hypothetical plan I'm setting up with Kava coming off the bench and Freddie Montero at striker, I'd like to see Owusu get a start at the 10 because the more and more I see of him, especially when he's on his game, he's slippery on the ball. He's, he's a pretty good dribbler. He makes nice little runs. And he doesn't, he doesn't seem, for me at least, to have that tendency to play great passes like out of a deeper-lying role. He's a better passer in tight corridors, tight spaces when he's, when he's really in amongst it. So I think like... Whereas Baldissimo's great at kind of sitting back and pinging those balls forward, Owusu seems to benefit if he's up in the action. And so I'd like to see him get a start at the 10, maybe with Milinkovic and Dahomey on those wings in that 4-2-3-1. I think I'd like to see that and uh, and see how that works out. Because I think Owusu, after that one poor performance, is now kind of back on the trend we were seeing earlier where he's getting more comfortable and stacking things up. And then with Bikel, I think it's, I said this in my, my report card, you said it, you know, just a couple moments ago, I think the setback was inevitable. Like it was, it was going to come at some point. This is a guy that hadn't played a lot of football this year and he was working and working himself up and there was a bit of a let off, probably wasn't feeling a hundred percent physically. And I fully expect that match in Seattle for Bikel to be to be back at full form, it just felt like he was a step behind the action and maybe maybe dealing with a couple of issues in Portland. So I'm not gonna, you know, if we see this become a consistent issue, then, then you worry. Then you worry. But until we get to that point, I'm I'm not gonna bother getting into it too much. Yeah, and it's tough. I think now I think I want the one thing I want to talk is the general match itself because it's like we said there was good individual performances. But something felt off about the match. But I do think at the same time, you want to learn something from every game. I think that's the key, win or lose. And I think LAFC is a tough one because it's one where you get beat so bad. I mean, 
What, what can you, you didn't, learn from that one? You didn't learn much from that one, but at least in this one, they learned. And I think you learned a few things. Like Eric Godoy, you missed that guy a lot more than you think. And I mean, obviously for us, I think the most logical pairing at this point, unfortunately for Franco Veselinovic, who by my, my count is two or three games away from triggering a purchase option if he starts. So this is very, especially inconvenient for him if he if he wants to stay. But I do feel like he's going to, probably work out a deal either way if he reaches that option or not. That's a whole other story. But Derek Cornelius, Eric Godoy, I think that's a good MLS center back pairing. You look forward next year, one of Maxime Crepo and Thomas Assal. Those are good goalkeepers. Obviously now Brian Meredith, solid guy, seems to be decent. He showed up. He, he looked pretty good on, on against Portland. After he cer- that first certainly goal. redeemed he himself with a couple late end. saves. Yeah huge saves and obviously Evan Bush he's a wild card for the rest of the season Jake Nerwinski has been really solid defensively and just been been a rock for for the Whitecaps an unexpected defensive rock and Ali Adnan like on that on their best day that's a solid back four it's wildly inconsistent especially from Ali Adnan himself but it's it's a back four and if not, you throw Christian Gutierrez. I think that's a really good defensive back four. I think and it, we haven't seen them play together yet, obviously because you know Cornelius didn't play when when Godoy rank uh, when Godoy Norwinski and Gutierrez didn't when Gutierrez played with Cornelius and Norwinski Ranko was in. So we haven't seen that back four, for example. But I don't think if the Whitecaps, their problem is consistency, finding a consistent back four, having consistent performances, but. Defensively, I see the flashes. I see a I see a building block a lot more than on the offense. In the offense, I still see a building block. It's just a lot more inconsistent. But I guess as a whole, because we've lots of rambling today. I guess apologies for for that. If you like that, if you don't like that, but I guess the overall tactics and the subs you you have it written down. I'll let you lead this point off. Well, so I know that I know that in reality that was essentially a 4-2-3-1 but and and I understand that you know five matches in the last 15 days leading up to that Portland match like you need some squad rotation but I really just want to see the Whitecaps have had their most success in 2020 playing that 4-2-3-1 and sticking with a relatively consistent lineup and I just want to see them commit to that fully and not waver from it and it just feels like there's still a little bit too much inconsistency in the identity of Mark DeSantos' tactics. And I mean, really, the reason I brought this up was was more to talk about the substitutions and the fact that Mark DeSantos did not, I mean, I know this was in part inhibited by the lack of whistles in the last seven minutes of the match, at least in regular time, but the fact that Mark DeSantos didn't try to make a... A coaching decision substitution until the 83rd minute in a match where they needed something to change it j- is just mind-blowing to me um I, yeah i just don't i i, I don't think it's excusable i, I think it's you know, it's it's just it, it lacks i think you know i don't think there's a way to explain it away and make sense especially when you're dealing with the kind of fatigue issues. I mean, Mark DeSanto said that fatigue wasn't an issue, but I don't know how you could watch that match and think that it wasn't at least to a certain extent a problem. And I, yeah, just if you have guys like Theo Bear and Ryan Raposo on your bench, you have a guy like Tuscan, 
them. You have a guy like Toss St. Ricketts, who I've been kind of banging on the drum for a number of matches now. Like, he's a quality bench piece. He's a... He won lack, an MLS Cup. For lack of better terms, a shit disturber. Like, he gets in there, he <laughs> messes things up. He, he creates chaos in a positive way. Sometimes you need that. And so to not use these guys, especially in a in a current era where you have five subs. If if I had five subs as a manager, and not that I'm going to be, I'd making, be causing an and, absolute. Well, not that I'm going to be making an application to manage any team anytime soon. But if you have five subs, like why not use one at halftime every match? Unless I mean, if things are going, if you're up three nil and everything's going your way, okay, maybe stick with the same lineup. But other than that, when you have that flexibility. Why wouldn't you try to positively change the match, or at the very least, inject fresh it. legs? Like that's a that is a tangible advantage. I've I haven't played the last forty five minutes. I am now forty five minutes fresher than you. The idea that you wouldn't use that, I don't know. It's just it seems well, especially well, for the, the halftime like Portland subs. one where you like need something to change. I just I didn't understand that at all. Yeah, well, yeah. Pardon, apologies for cutting off your rant a bit there, but yeah, halftime. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that. Uh, you 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 wound up the the, the car there, and you, you start driving it right up that hill. But I'm probably will join you because substitutions are exactly why we caught, started this this show podcast, whatever. But like, think about it. if you're bringing on a guy every game at halftime, like how much does that motivate your players knowing that if I play bad. I'm That's getting yanked. You're out. Like, first of all, it's just gonna it's gonna improve the quality of your squad because they're gonna be walking on eggshells and knowing, okay, if I'm not up to standard, I'm gonna get yanked off. And yeah, if, if and the players on the bench, it, it just feels wasteful to have such a good bench and not use it. And rotation, yeah, okay, rotation. You need to rotate your squad, but rotate like for like almost. You know, you have enough players where. You want to give someone a rest, start Ryan Raposo. You want to give your strike a rest, throw in Theo Bear. You look at the bench. Boy, I need to look at the bench. I'm going to look at the bench right now because I'm, I'm, my mind's blanking probably because of rage of substitutions. But you look at your bench versus Portland. You look at some of the unused subs. Like in the midfield, why didn't Michael Baldissimo and Patrick Metcalf get thrown in there? If Bikel, for Bikel, for example, Bikel didn't look good. He was That's having fair. an off night. You could tell that at ha- at the half, and you could have remedied that, not kept him out there when he clearly wasn't at his best. Bring on Michael Baldissimo. I mean, why? I don't know why the Whitecaps had two center backs on the bench. That, that Di- that's Diego, bit... Diego Valeri came on at the half for Portland. That was a very, very wise substitution, and Ryan Raposo, Toe St. Ricketts, bring them on earlier. Heck, throw Patrick Metcalf in. He's been solid whenever he's he's coming. Poor guy's always had to come in, in really uncomfortable situations, it feels. But, yeah, use your subs. That That's that's my thing. I feel like I was saying it to someone during or around the game, but I was saying it's like a placebo effect almost. You, know, they, you throw on a sub, and there's just this effect of having a new guy on the field that seems to give a team a lift, being like, okay, I could be next, or oh, oh, I see. Uh, we have a fresh legs. Like, it makes no sense. There should be studies done on it. It's like taking a sugar pill. Like, it doesn't. It's not supposed to make you feel better, or give you a shot of energy, but it just does. Like, use use your subs. That that that's kind of. I don't have any rant, at least to what you got, but just you use your subs. Shake up the game plan. 
stick with the consistent game plan to start, but see what you see, like watch the game and see what's happening and trust your gut and get some subs. It just felt in a game where they were so tired, there was no reason to wait until the 90th minute to make your second and third sub when Daniel Bakel was struggling. You're down a goal. You could bring off someone like just an example, like Jake Nowinski and put on boy, like, I mean, I, I don't know. You could get creative. You could bring on Ryan Raposo for Jake Nowinski and play it like a, a just try something when you're down, you know, bring up Lucas Cavani struggling to finish. Maybe you do want him on when you're trailing a goal, but just bring on guys. And obviously, yeah, it, there's just got to be more, more of that, that less of a fear to make substitutions. And on one hand, I get it. Cause as a coach, you look at your players, there's guys you just don't want to take off. Like if I was white caps, I'd be like, it's hard to take off someone like Cavallini. It's hard to take off Montero. You know, it's hard to take off a Dahomey, or, or an Adnan or Norwinski or Bakel, but you have to do it. Sometimes you just need to, to switch the game plan and, and adapt. And Portland was sitting back and just absorbing pressure. Putting in a guy who could, could break down those lines would have just been so key. So, yeah, I mean, part of the reason why I bring this up is, so I'm a Leicester City supporter in the Premier League. And over the past, like last season and early on this season, you see, I mean, uh, people have varying opinions on Brendan Rodgers, but one thing that he, I think, undoubtedly does at a very high level is utilize his substitutions very tactfully and, and skillfully. Whether that's, you know, a guy like Jamie Vardy sometimes comes off the bench. I mean, they used Ian Acho last year. They'd start him, and then they bring Vardy off the bench, or they go vice versa and really change the complexion of their front line. Or then you saw against Manchester City the other day, James Madison came off the bench and scored a worldly goal. And, you know, his quality off the bench, it completely changed the way they play midway through the game just when Leicester was losing a bit of energy and they needed something to change. And obviously, you're not a Premier League team in the Vancouver Whitecaps. You don't have, you know, a player that could sell for 75, 100 million pounds coming off your bench. But at the same time, you can still... You can still impart those differences in the game, and it's a, yeah, to me, it's just, I think the biggest thing above all else is you can't, you know, look at the mirror at the end of the day and say we did everything we could, we just didn't come out with the result if you haven't used all the tools at your disposal. I think if you use all the tools and they don't work, that's okay, but you can't just not use them and say that you tried everything. Yeah, it, it's it's tough because obviously you could look at okay maybe your players they they did this or they you know they 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 didn't do the right things at the right time but sometimes as the manager when you have these because I forget who said it or someone as a manager I think it was Pamaduka he was saying well the tough thing for him adapting from a player to a manager is you can't control everything as a manager you could put together a great game plan your players are human they mess up things happen but at the same time as a manager you do still have some things at your disposal. You got, okay, let's put this Portland is defending really compact, but they're allowing spaces in between the lines. Let's put an extra player there and sub off, you know, sub on a guy or change, just change the complexion. You have this ability as a coach to do that. And just, yeah, don't be afraid to use it. Obviously as a manager, you don't want to over impart yourself in the game. That's a fear because if you mess up, you get judged, but at the same time, if you're losing, at least try. And I, I think of 
it's really random because I don't really watch much baseball. But the one thing that fascinated me today was the whole Blue Jays debate because they started a guy they, and he was doing great and they yanked him after three innings and they lost. And it's tough for the manager because all oh, they're second guessing his decision. But you know what? I actually didn't hate the decision. They had a plan. They had a way to try to shift the game. And you can certainly moan about the lack of timing in the Blue Jays game. But hey, if your manager's using the power at, at his disposal – to, to mess with the other team, to throw them off their rhythm and, you know, use the power at this disposal is great. And it's tough. Obviously, if they lose, they get all the, the, the brunt of the, the, the pain. And obviously, the Blue Jays, they lost. So they got the brunt of the, pl- the, the pain. But, you know, at least he tried. At least he tried something. Well, here's the reality. If you're not willing as a manager or you're going to be influenced as a manager in whatever sport, by the fact that, oh, if I make this decision, I'll be the one facing the ridicule. If you're scared of that and if you're influenced by that, you shouldn't be a manager, in my view. But that brings us to our, I guess we'll say our third subs of the match because technically Ryan Raposo and St. Ricketts came on at the same time. And all I really have to say about that, because we didn't really see very much of them, is in the form of a question. It's one I'm going to ask you, Alex. At a certain point, like during that seven minutes where they didn't come on, if you're one of the Whitecaps players, do you just kick the ball out of play and let them come on? Like I was, I was thinking that while watching. Like if you want to get these subs in, you're trying to score a goal to tie this match and get a point. Why not just hoof it out of play, get those reinforcements on? Just yeah, foul a guy like. Cause some sort of chaos. I don't know. I don't. Maybe kicking the ball to the play is a bit extreme, but yeah, if you Why need not? to. Because I don't think the players want to come off, though. We do have to remember that. Like, obviously, well, one of the players that isn't going to come off should kick the ball to play that. Well, Brian Meredith, the goalkeeper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you should have just punted it straight into Rosette, but. That's well, a but, very valid like, point. If you're if you're Eric Godoy, you know, and you see to St. Ricketts and Ryan Raposo, you know you're probably not coming off. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a fair. If, if if Ryan Raposo came on for Brian Meredith, like now that's the court, sort of thinking I could get behind. Like if you want to talk about a creative decision, screw it. No Play, goalkeeper. Go false goalkeeper. And honestly, actually, that's that's a really interesting point. Now that now I bring it up, and it's completely unrelated. But since we've gone down this rabbit hole, like what if you were chasing a goal and you subbed on if you didn't want to lose your striker? You subbed on a striker for your goalkeeper, and you subbed on a, a forward for one of your defenders, and you like you had a really fast guy at the back, and his job was just kind of to sweep up and like stand and like clear up the mop, so you have extra bodies on the pitch. I'm just saying it's not as ridiculous as you're as it sounds. Like imagine that last ditch set piece you sub on a striker for a goalkeeper when you're chasing a goal. Like I'm just saying, your Mark Descent is Don't knock it goalie. till you try it. Imagine you throw on your, your, your you have two subs left because you have five, and you brought on Raposo Ricketts. Imagine if your fourth sub is bringing on Theo Bear for Brian Meredith and throwing him in the box at the last ditch set piece. I'm just saying, but I don't know. Maybe that's ridiculous. You guys are either going to think I'm absolutely off my rocker, and maybe after saying Leonard Wusu is, is a potential left winger, maybe I am, but chaos, bring it together. But third sub of the match to St. Ricketts, one word, let's go. Oh my! Well, it's to St. Ricketts and Ryan Raposo because they uh, not neither counts officially as more of a third sub than the other. 
but uh, I don't even know. I mean, my, my point is just, man, they should have just kicked the ball and play. That's uh, that's all I have to offer there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, for a Ricketts and I guess you gave you gave okay, a word if you throw I, a hyphen I, in. Shit I guess disturber, that, that yeah, or or my my word would be shambolic in terms of it was shambolic that those guys didn't come on sooner. Yeah, I think that that works. I think that's very that's very fair. I mean, free Raposo, free Ricketts. I think that's enough for that. Evan Bush signed. I mean, that, if we're talking about how boring and low event the game is, credit to the Whitecaps and Timbers. I mean, number one and number two in the worst XGs in the league, and they combined for an XG of like just over like yeah. one point. Shout out to me for on the preview several times saying that I expected it to be a wide open track meet, and then having yeah, I, I predicted the a absolute or a... the absolute opposite of that when we actually came down to it. So thanks to the Whitecaps and Timbers for making me look like an idiot there. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, like boy, way to make the fancy stats guys look like they know what they're talking about, right? But yeah, I mean, the most entertaining thing about the match was that the Whitecaps signed a player. What? Surprise, well, te- surprise. Te- technically, they made a trade. I mean, it's for made a, a, trade. a third round super draft pick, which is like. Which Montreal had three of last year and they passed on all of them. Yeah. So essentially, they got him, they're, they're getting him for free. But, but I mean, I'm gonna, I'll lay the floor up for you, Alex. I mean, basically, this, is, it, this was prior to knowing about the full extent of Thomas Assault's injury. We already kind of had indications that Max Cropo wasn't going to be back this year, but. This essentially confirmed that neither of those guys would be back. Also kind of confirmed that Yusuf Daha doesn't think Isaac Bomer's ready for MLS action, which I mean is fair enough. And that He's also 18. I think that's a very fair and, statement. And that also maybe the faith in Brian Meredith as your full-time starter isn't super high either. So, I mean, in that sense, this move makes, makes you know, has some logic to it. I don't want to, I didn't want to say sense twice in a row, but um on the other hand, Brian, uh, not Brian Meredith, uh, Evan Bush's underlying lump numbers from last season, um, both you and shout out to Caleb Wilkins of uh, 86 Forever were both touting these on Twitter. They were, yeah, they, they were quite poor. And uh, yeah, I'll kind of, I'll hand it over to you, Alex. But we were also, we were also texting about some solutions to this goalkeeping issue that at least in our estimation might've made a little bit more sense than bringing in Bush as much as from what we heard today, he's a good interview and seems like a nice guy. And I'm, I'm sure he'll be a good fit in the locker room. Well, I just think with Bush, the issue is his, his, his unknown salarial future. The fact that he's his option, we don't know what it is. Basically, if you're doing any sort of deductive logic, he, he in and obviously this is not close to real deductive logic. Shout out to people doing deductive logic. I have some friends. That's, that sounds complicated, but, you know, <laughs> completely sidetracked once again, but like he made $293,000 in 2018 or no, 2019. Yes. And then this year his salary figure isn't released yet, but he'd signed a new extension in 2018. And usually how those go is you usually go up a 30, 40 K a year by logic. He's making probably at least 350 K next year. And it sounds like it's a guaranteed option but at the same time his agency tweeted out that it's three years so at the very least it's probably a player option because if it's a good contract he's obviously going to exercise it so obviously there's some sort of option that next year that it sounds like it's either guaranteed or he he has the option of of applying it 
for three hundred fifty to upwards of four hundred k for a back, what likely a third string goalie. If you're looking at your goalies, it would definitely be Max Crepeau's ahead of him, and Thomas Asal arguably is ahead of him based on age and what he's shown this year. Evan Bush is your third goalkeeper on four hundred k. You do start to wonder, obviously. We, 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 it's hard to judge this move. It would be very white cap seat considering that they once accidentally re-signed a player for playing a playoff game. They didn't know it would trigger his, his option to, you know, not have a plan for Evan Bush, but I'd like to, shout I'd out, like to shout out to the goat Breck Shea, like shout out to Breck Shea, but I, like there's some sliver in me that hopes that there's a plan for Evan Bush, like that he's the new goalkeeper for Austin FC in 2021 or that, Montreal and him have got some sort of deal that he like retires at the end of the year or like that he's he's got some sort of salary thing or you just you just hope that there's a plan for him but you just do wonder why not a loan for someone and I think right now there happens to be eight teams with goalkeepers that are really fresh because they just finished the season but they have nowhere to go and they're desperately looking for loans the Canadian Premier League how nice would it be hey Callum Irving take the three-hour flight from from Victoria to, uh, to 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 bank to Portland and join the Whitecaps. I think people were saying Tristan Henry, and I like that, but we do have to remember Forge is in the CONCACAF League, and based on their draw, they have a really good chance of making the Champions League. So obviously Henry is not a shout, but if you're looking, why not someone like Callum Irving at Pacific since it's close? Heck, if the fence, if, if it's your relationship with Carducci isn't broken, call up Carducci from Cavalry. He's had a tough year. Give him his confidence back and give him a bit of a chance to showcase himself up to the pro audience who knows if he's even gonna play or not but why not go for a loan that will last a, a short term and then the cpl teams will get the minutes and training environment they want their players to be in if they're coming back and the white caps get a cheap option i mean who knows maybe bush ends up being a savior for them he rediscovers his form and it ends up looking like a stroke of genius but there's both the long-term aspect of it that's really uncertain and there's also the fact that how good of a goalie is evan bush i i, did, I crunched the numbers and came up with an, event, an an adjusted save percentage. And basically it was kind of like, okay, how much are goalies being affected by the defense in front of them? And how much are they getting affected by a lot of sh- shots? And how much are they affected by the fact they don't get a lot of shots? So someone like Tyler Miller last year, who was a good goalie in Minnesota, was smart to pick him up and he's done well for them before his injury. He, he had a great save percentage, but LAFC's defense was so strong with Walker Zimmerman that he was, he was just making the saves he was supposed to make. That's one good, one kind of goalkeeper. You want a goalkeeper like that. And then you have guys like Max Crepo and David Bingham who are behind atrocious defenses, who leaked shots, and they made the saves they weren't supposed to make. So when they adjusted save percentage, it went up. And then you got guys like Evan Bush, for example, like behind a decent defense in Montreal. He was costing his team goals. They shouldn't have been giving up based on how they defended. That's the red flag. And I think I, I did the math. If obviously it's tough to rate goalkeepers because high lines and deep lines can affect how they play. For example, we think of Hassal being a guy who comes off his line, making him more of a guy who can play in a high line, whereas Kreppel likes to stay on his line, making him a guy who plays, likes to play on a slightly lower line. But just by plugging Kreppel's stats and, and replace, like obviously because he's a former impact player, it's even more interesting to do that. If you put him in, instead of Evan Bush in for Montreal last year, they make the playoffs comfortably in my opinion. I think they missed by four or five points Evan Bush cost them like over nine or ten goals last year and that's a huge difference in a playoff race so 
it's tough because he lost his starting spot at the end of last year to Clement Diop. He didn't reclaim it. He, I don't think he, he hasn't played a game this year. Clement Diop, it's been all Clement Diop. So you do wonder if he was already bad last year, he's 34. Usually something tells me that you usually don't get better. But at the same time, he, he was a really good goalie before. He was MLS goalkeeper. He was in the best 11 in 2018 for goalkeeper. He's been a good goalkeeper, but you just do wonder based on those two things if it was a, a worthwhile move. Yeah, from from whatever stats I saw that I think Caleb put up, it was something to the extent of, you know, the the expected goals versus goals allowed with Evan Bush between the sticks, shout out to your publication, <laughs> last year was he essentially cost the team at least eight goals and that very well could have been the difference, as you said, between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. So there's certainly concerns there, but, you know, until we see him as a fit with the Vancouver Whitecaps, it's worth at least you know withholding some of the criticism. The one thing I will say when, when you when uh, Caleb again shout out to him and uh, Glass City as always, who's you know always in there with the with the negative takes on the Whitecaps, brought up the contract issue. The first thing that came to mind for me was. Okay, Axel Schuster, he was touted and has been brought in as a guy that's good at balancing the books, good at understanding the rules, good at, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. This is a real test of Axel Schuster because if the Whitecaps get their pants pulled down and they're paying 350k for Evan oh. Bush next year, that's going to be a serious problem. So you have to hope if you're a Whitecaps fan or if you're like Alex and I and you're you're following the team and covering them that Axel Schuster has figured out a solution to this and that he's either confident this guy's going to be swooped up in the expansion draft or that there's some way that he... Or a buyout or something. Obviously, I don't know how a buyout work in MLS, but... There has to be some way that he's not on the roster making an obscene amount of money in comparison to what he's worth next year. That That's exactly it. it it's one... It's a move that's going to be judged in context. Yeah. It's gonna it, it, like it's, like, it's like a lot it of makes trades. Sense. It takes time to see what the what the true outcome is. Because it makes sense. He, I think, with how MLS salaries work, and usually they're paid by the percentage of the season. He doesn't have much money left this year, and it sounds like Montreal's footing most of the bill for this year. So it, it's a move that makes sense now. It's just, is it a move where you get stuck, and you got you got a goalkeeping tandem in Max Crepo and Thomas Hassall. By my math, we don't know the salary figures this year because they haven't been released yet, which is usually we get them in May and September, and it's September we haven't gotten them all. But it's just MLSPA has gone through a lot this year. I'm not going to hold it against them. They've dealt with tough labor negotiations. They were close to striking multiple times. But by my rudimentary math, considering Crepo signed an extension, you'd have to figure it put him between somewhere 200 and 400 k And obviously Hassal is probably making the league minimum. The fact that Evan Bush is the third goalie could be making more than both of them combined would be worrying, especially if he was the third goalie. So, yeah, I guess they hope to sort it out. But at the same time, I hope he plays good here because he sounds like a good guy. And at the very least, you'd like to hope that even if there's no future for him in Vancouver, that he auditions himself that, A, he can rebuild his career somewhere where he can just, yeah, have a resurgence, maybe as an, an expansion team or you think of a team that could need a goalie like San Jose or a team like that, or at the very least, even before 
if it helps the Whitecaps and they get a draft pick from in the summer, or not summer, in the offseason, sorry, or some sort of tangible asset for him, great. But at the very least, he sounds like a great guy. He's done a lot of work for the MLSPA. He's been around the block. You just hope this move ends up working for him long term. And if it helps the Whitecaps, great, because they could use it right now with, uh, with the uniqueness of this MLS season because we talk about the Whitecaps having so many flaws and so much to fix, yet despite all of that, the playoff race is ridiculous. There's nine points between first and last. If there's a year you want to just make it in the dance and grind your way to a trophy, this is the year where you have probably the best chance you'll ever have that. So at the same time, you do want to compete. So hopefully he can, uh, he can help the Whitecaps do that. And then in that case, it sounds like it could be a good match, but it's all about the long-term future with this one. Yeah, just a final word for me. I think it's always important to separate, you know, what what we wish for the individual player in person versus what it means for the overall context of the team. And especially hearing today from Evan, you know, how difficult it was for him to leave Montreal or kind of be kind of be boxed out of that of that goalkeeper, you know, the starting goalkeeping position in Montreal. It was a guy that He's had been played. there since before the MLS days. Exactly. Like played on a, played on a couple, you know, fringe professional squads in the US, then took a chance on Montreal. He was talking about how his his wife thought he was crazy at the time and that, you know, how are they going to, you know, adapt to a, a place where, you know, a lot of people speak another language and they weren't comfortable with that and and that he never thought Montreal was going to be a long-term home and then how much he's come to love it and love the city, love the club, you know, love everything about his time there and then kind of being gradually phased out and how difficult that was and how emotional it was for him. I mean, my heart goes out to the guy and my hope is that he, you know, comes in and has three, four clean sheets in a row. Like nothing would make me happier. But at the same time, the Whitecaps have to consider their long-term future. So yeah, best to best to Evan Bush as he, you know, starts this, this Vancouver Whitecaps career and, uh, that kind of wraps up the Whitecaps talk for this one. The last thing that Alex wanted to touch on, and then I'm going to kind of hop in on a bit, but I've I've been a little bit less woke to is the uh, the Gold Cup draw and how that's uh, shaping out for the Canadian men's national team. Well, I guess shout out. We talk about episode 50 not being special. I mean, if you've been there since the beginning, it's a throwback, a ninety a ninety minute around about episode. So. I guess shout out to that for, for special reasons, but gold cup draw boy. I mean, first of all, I just want to say one thing. If, if you, if you're maybe not as familiar with the gold cup, this is very interesting because if, if I'm not mistaken, it's the, I don't know how many editions there's been of the gold cup because it used to be the CONCACAF championship. And it, it says it was founded 57 years ago. It's, it's gone through a couple of rebrands. It's been the gold cup for since 91 and, there's been approximately 15 or 20 tournaments, but this is the first time ever there was a draw. For those unfamiliar with the pro- first of all, last tournament, 2019, was the first ever tournament where everyone had to qualify. That was already groundbreaking because the North American football zone, Canada, Mexico, and U.S. qualified every edition, which was funny because there was two tournaments in a row where Canada didn't score a goal, which is just like, I don't know why they had automatic qualification. That was a whole other story, but... In 2019, they're like, okay, maybe we should, if we want to make this, like the Gold Cup's a big tournament. Teams go from the Gold Cup to the to the Confederations Cup, like the winner, and it's basically a set, the Canada, or Canada, the North America's version of the Euros. They didn't have qualification until 2019, and they didn't draw the team. They would pick their group. So last Gold Cup, 
up was oh no Canada conveniently got picked with the with Mexico like where where was the process behind it like why did they just pick Mexico and they like they drew like for example they picked Jamaica because they want to host gold cup games in Jamaica for the first time ever like it's so complicated and it makes no sense but they decided okay maybe we should have a draw I mean first of all the draw itself was <laughs> it was interesting it was started at five and they didn't draw teams till 5 40 which is great because I tuned in at 5 30 I'm not complaining but this is going to be a weird tournament if it gets played because Qatar's participating and if you, for those who don't know Qatar they're kind of the defending AFC champions and they were a pop four team which is just ridiculous because they're way too good to be a pop four team when there's going to be teams like I don't even know well Haiti's a very weird pop four two team but they're not even a technically a pop four because they haven't qualified yet well, like, the, so the only thing I'd add just to interject quickly yeah no, it's, it's is so, that okay great on you for having a draw but the idea of having a Qatar in a CONCACAF tournament. And the draw isn't even finished. All the legitimacy you're trying to create is just immediately removed by having this guest team, which is obviously just, I don't know, paying oodles of money or somehow, you know, lobbied and finagged their way into this tournament. Well, the Copa Americas had guest teams, and I think that's a legitimate tournament. So I can can accept the guest teams thing, because Qatar literally was in the last Copa America, and they were really, like, they they made it better. But to be fair... Like South America has ten teams. They need guest teams. The U.S. has played in the, in in the, in the Copa America. I mean, there's talks of people that, of them having two permanent Concacaf entrants or, well, whatever six Concacaf entrants permanently, or having some sort of com- combined tournament to to remedy the fact they only have ten teams. But for Concacaf, where they have thirty four teams, it's a bit ridiculous to have a guest team. I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you there. But the fact that the the qualification isn't done, like for example. Canada was drawn in the Group B with the U.S. and Martinique, which as, mar- as far as Pod A teams go, they avoided Mexico, which is always a goal. I think stylistically they would have wanted Honduras or Costa Rica because Costa Rica is a great team, don't get me wrong. I just think Canada matches up a lot better than they do against the U.S. It's just so fast and they got a lot of offensive depth. But, okay, you avoid Mexico. Okay, and Pot, pot, B, uh, pot 2 Canada is obviously a Pot 2 team. Pot 3 you just want to avoid Curacao because Curacao is a borderline pot two. Even a pot one time they play sometimes. Like they just signed Goose Hiddink and they're getting all these Dutch dual internationals to sign for them. They're a really good team. So they avoided Curacao. They got Martinique, which as, as far as pot three teams, maybe the, the only they would have wanted Suriname or Grenada. Like obviously uh, Martinique is probably the second of the top four. But again, you avoid, you avoid Curacao and then pot four you avoid Qatar great you don't you don't want Qatar as your pot four team but you don't know who you're gonna face uh the, the four teams in in the, the the like there's still four teams left in the preliminary so Haiti St. Vincent and the Grenadines and I think it's I just want to make sure here it's match six so that's Bermuda or Barbados could I'll, I'll qualify and if St. Vincent Grenadines or Bermuda or Barbados qualify, that's awesome for Canada. Like those are all winnable matchups. I mean, they beat Barbados, Barbados 4-1 with their B team this year. They beat St. Vincent Grenadines last year. It was a lot tighter than they hoped, but, and they've got Bermuda in their, in their world cup qualifier, but Haiti is a pot four team, for example, that's not a, not an easy matchup. So a lot, basically I just said a lot of nothing for, 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 for a lot of stuff, but, Great. I think it's a good draw for Canada as overall. It's great for CONCACAF that there is a draw. 
I just think why now when your qualifiers aren't even done, wait until like a month or two before the tournament. But I guess it was cool to have something to talk about Canada national team related in September, considering that the national team was supposed to play next October, like in two weeks. Uh, it was postponed, but yeah, those were kind of my, my thoughts on the draw. I guess last thoughts before I pass over to you, group A, Mexico, Salvador, Curacao, El Salvador, Curacao. That's going to be, that's going to be a toughie, especially if the preliminary match nine, which boy, if I'm not mistaken, that could be Trinidad and Tobago. For example, that would be a really a group of depth. Depth, sorry, group of depth, but also a group of depth. And then Group C with Costa Rica, Jamaica, Suriname, that's pretty top-heavy. And then Group D, like Honduras, Panama, and Granada is not inspiring at all. That's like they were so lucky. And then Qatar gets thrown in there just to make it from group of life to group of, okay, it's a little, maybe a little more even than they thought. But, yeah, that's enough of my Gold Cup rambling. You got anything to say about all that? Yeah, that has to be absolutely the most detailed uh, description of the draw I've heard to date. And unlike you, I'm I'm not as deep in the weeds on that stuff. But the one thing that I have been... Oh, thinking, I, I love CONCACAF competition. That That is, is very clear about. through all of this. But the, so the, the question that I pose to you is, this is a, a longer and stranger break that we've seen from international competition. Like it's, it's unprecedented in that sense. Just the, you know, you mentioned that the, the Canadian team was supposed to be playing relatively soon. That's been pushed back. Do you think that this prolonged gap helps Canada or hurts them in comparison to other nations in CONCACAF? Like, is this a good thing for the men's national team or, or a bad thing in the long run? It's tough because I think they need to be building chemistry. They need to be playing games right now because they're so young. But I guess it's good that some guys are getting minutes and they're getting on the radar and they can work on trying to call them up. You think of, I always, is Ferdy Kagli? I can't, his name is the proper pronunciation of his name. Kadioglu, sorry. Ferdy Kadioglu, for example, a dual national they've been pursuing. Maybe that helps their quest of him, et cetera, et cetera. But I personally do think they're going to be playing. And I just look and there's, I, I see a lot of worries with the fixture list next year if you're Canada, because obviously they're still Olympic qualifying. And if they, obviously you want them to make Olympics, but if they make Olympics, make the Olympic, the Olympics, sorry, but the tournament, the Gold Cup and the Olympics are at the same time. So first of all, you'd have to have a, the US is certainly, they haven't qualified yet, but that's a big worry for them too, because like Canada, most of their top players are under 23. And then obviously in the Olympics, you're allowed three overagers if you make it. Do you send your best team to the Olympics knowing that it'll mean more to the players than winning, say, the Gold Cup, knowing that the Gold Cup is every two years for now? They, they, they have talked about making it every four years, but knowing that it's every two years, okay, we'll just go get them in 2023. Since the Olympics is rare, you wonder that. And this, if they make both team you can't have two players you can't have a guy in tokyo and a guy in the u.s at the same time that's just scientifically not possible but then there's the added wrinkle the fact that there's a four match window in june and the tournament's in july and can't and john herman was talking about it yesterday and so was greg berhalter some of these players won't be released for both windows technically they have to but if you're Bayern and you're alfonso davies and he, you know alfonso davies if if it's anything like last season he's gonna play a lot and he's gonna be worked out is, is is the thing you really want for him to go to World Cup qualifiers, play four games in June in CONCACAF where the travel is brutal and he has to get fly continental to get there and then 
take a break and then play in a full tournament where you can play up to six and seven games. And then by the time, if they make it far, it ends in July, their season starts in, in late in early August. Do you want that from one of your best players? That's going to be hard to convince. You could say, okay, you pick one. And John Herman said the, 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 sorry, the priority is, is world cup qualifying, obviously, because they haven't made the world cup. It's a priority. So obviously the best players are all going to be there in June. So you do wonder what that World Cup squad is going to look like in July. And you do wonder what happens if they somehow, by some miracle, by some whatever, they make the Olympics. It's going to cause headaches. So I think but thinking of all that, they need games now just to test their depth. Honestly, if they could, if since they're playing some weaker teams in the CONCACAF pool, it would be nice to obviously have your guys like David and Davies and all that at the top end. But f- instead of filling out your squad of usual guys, be like, hey, guys, like, Scott Arfield, Atiba Hutchinson, your older guys. Okay, we know we, you are very important to our team, but we'll give you rest now. We need to test out our depth because next year is going to be very busy. And I think now it's almost imperative if they have some sort of way to pull it off, COVID, COVID permitting, they need to have another uh, January camp this year um, with North American guys. Get all your CPL guys, get your MLS guys, test your depth immediately because if not, it's going to be – we might just see instances where it's a gold cup and you see five or six Canadians making their debut or guys who haven't played in forever. And that could be worrying. Well, wow. That's a, that's a lot to take in. And <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was, and I didn't all, know. all I really have to say to that in response is that, man, that is going to be a good white caps off season project is maybe we have a guy like Peter Galindo back on to really, dive into what 2021 is going to look like for the Canadian men's national team. All the permutations of the roster, guys that could get in from depth positions, what the best 11 looks like, just all of these factors, which are very much up in the air. I think that at some point deserves a very long-winded and detailed discussion. And, uh, and you certainly kind of piqued my interest in that regard. And yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to kind of put a bookmark on that one and, uh, and get back into it. And yeah, for the listener, if you're, if that's something you have an appetite for, or you have ideas of your own, let us know. But, uh, for episode 50, Alex, uh, anything else you have to add other than, um, other than I'll say just initially, thank you to the listener for making it through 50 episodes or for joining us somewhere along the way. Yeah, it's, it's been a blast to have a ramble rant, whatever we want to call it platform, a platform also where we've got to interact with some awesome guests shout out to everyone who's been a guest on the show all of our guests have been great i mean all the way from the beginning with our guy kevin shout out to kevin episode seven you got long memories all the way through to you know harji joe hall jj adams ben steiner tristan damo peter galindo afc curtis um i think that's that's all of them right correct well i i would just say as well shout out to Anyone that we've uh, chatted with from the SB Nation family in terms of... Oh, yes. Alicia Rodriguez, Jeremiah Jeremiah O'Shan. I mean, just people that we've... Cody Bradley. Exactly. We've kind of made a habit of when we Sons of a Pitch podcast. Sorry not to hop in, but just Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure we get all the names out. Totally. I mean, we're going to miss someone and we we regret the error. Michael Singh. (laughs) Exactly. All all the people that we've reached out to along the way. I mean, I'll speak for myself. At least the SB Nation Network's a great way to even people that I've only interacted with just very briefly or casually. It's a, it's a nice starting point. So it's been great to have such a variety of guests on 
all so insightful, all bringing something unique to the table. And so um, from Alex and I, that's definitely something we're going to continue to seek out and try to not only bring people back that we've had on before, but also, you know, bring in some new voices and, and continue to round out our own perspective because I think it makes us better podcasters, better writers, more knowledgeable about the game to have prolonged conversations with these people. And so it's uh, hopefully it's been as valuable for you, the listener, as it's been for us, uh, the podcasters. And uh, just thank you again and, and looking forward to racking up many more of these. Yeah, exactly. Just here's to 50 more. And just, it's been a pleasure. It's, a, it's I mean, it's been fun just to, yeah, have an avenue to, to share thoughts. And who knows, we'll be happy to grow off this. We've got a lot more in the tank still. We're obviously uh, not tired of podcasting quite yet, considering that we, we, we've gone from one episode a week at the beginning to like three, two or three a week now. So obviously there's some hunger there. And yeah, just... Thanks for the thanks for the ride. Well, and, and the one thing I'll add right at the end is uh, we don't say this very often, but if you have enjoyed the show, you you are enjoying it. You know, hit subscribe on whatever podcast app you're on. Leave a review. Leave a comment. Uh, just all of that engagement, no matter what uh, podcasting platform you're on, it it helps us out. It gives us valuable feedback, and uh, yeah, we we'd really appreciate it if you if you take a little bit of time to do that and. Uh, and we'll be back again soon chatting with you. And yeah, um, we'll, I think we'll be back next to preview Seattle versus the Whitecaps this upcoming Saturday night. So stay tuned for that one. And if you haven't checked out the podcast uh, with CPL-related content, our CPL review show with AFC Curtis, as Alex said right off the top, go back, check that one out, or bookmark it, save it for later on during the offseason because I think that one has a lot of replay value. So yeah, thanks again, and uh, we'll chat soon. Sam, before you go, you forgot Twitter. I mean, shout shout yourself out here. It's episode fifty for those who were, saw the big number and they tuned in. They gotta know where to find you. But I'll I'll, fin- I'll let you have the last word because you did so well. Because well, Twitter I, I at would... Alex Gungaruza at BTSFanCity, BTSFanCity.com. That's all I gotta say. I'll let you close up. I was gonna say I would hope at this point that people that have been listening they they either know our Twitter handle or they're they're capable of finding it. But at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at eighty six Forever dot com. Uh, yeah, reach out, get involved. Thanks, guys. <laughs>